Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, our take on the hit podcast, Broken Hearts. We'll break down and review this true crime podcast, and we won't shy away from its many, many problems. Plus, some true crime updates and a whole lot more. And joining me to get all that done is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and karaoke tracks aficionado, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, you know, sometimes people want, like, some instrumental music no, around don't. the house. No, they don't. Sure they do. Something like for dinner washing dishes, you know, it's like, why not just do some karaoke <laughs> without the lyrics because you know the songs and you don't have to worry about the vocals getting them. It's still atmospheric. You didn't actually sing along, though, so it just sounded like we were in a cheap Japanese restaurant listening to karaoke tracks of Green Day and Elvis <sighs> Costello. It was really weird. I love you anyway, though. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and Marie Kondo convert, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, yeah. My family's afraid that I'm going to ship them next door because they're no longer bringing me joy. <laughs> and, uh, Ken came home today and the cat was laying in the bed. He's like, Felix, you better watch out. You're going to get rolled up and stuck in the drawer. <laughs> rolled in thirds. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Cat's going in the drawer. He brings me joy. Family going to neighbor Dan's house. <laughs> and finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, our Patreon book club host, and the proud owner of a cat who hates him, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Toby, you have to share that picture with everybody on our social media feed so they can know what I'm talking about. It's pretty incredible. I don't know if the irony comes across to people who don't know me as well. Like, Toby, how did I not know in all this time, in all of my ranting and raving about orange male cats, that you had an orange male cat? Did you tell me this and I somehow blocked it out? Because I don't remember this fact about you. <laughs> I think I might have tried to get it in there once or twice. That's he's, what she said. Yeah, he's sort of big and fat. <laughs> but he's got the orange male cat dog personality, it sounds like. But he hates Toby, which is very clear in the photograph. Very clear. No, he doesn't hate me. What, what You couldn't, like, if we'd panned out a little bit, you would have seen that I was standing with him, like, holding him under, like, I had my arm, like, under his arms. 
and I was like scratching his stomach. So he was purring like crazy. But at the same time, I don't think it was all that comfortable for him. Mm. And he had uh, crazy eyes. It was one of those sort of pleasure pain things, I think, for him. He was trying to to negotiate what he was feeling. Um, Like 50 shades of Toby. I don't know. It's true. That's what's going on. 50 feline shades of Toby. Well, listen, nobody in our audience wants to hear about this. We are having a lot of problems with one of our dogs whose food obsession has suddenly become, I think it's combined with a little bit of like dog dementia, and it's become super problematic. Like... So much so that I was eating a piece of toast yesterday morning, sitting on a high kitchen stool, talking with one of my kids and just sort of casually waving the toast around as I was talking. All of a sudden, this like tiny dog jumps up like a shark in a fucking Shamu show and steals the toast out of my hand. <laughs> it's been happening wow. like a lot. It's been a real problem. Oh, is this the camera shy dog? Yes. This... No, she's not okay. camera shy. We should not, don't take a lot of pictures of her she's because she's weird. not cute. <laughs> okay. We have All a cute right. dog and a fucking weird looking dog. And we, uh, okay. no offense, Bridie, if you're listening to this podcast, but <laughs> she's not. <laughs> let's be weird. You're not as cute as the other one. All right. Well, speaking of Toby's uh, Patreon-sponsored book club podcast, for those of you who might be new to our show, if you become a member of Patreon on our Patreon page, you do get access to Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. And a new episode of that show taped last night. It will be out soon. And on that episode was a very special guest that Kevin got to talk to you for the first time. And it was quite an event. Kevin, you just want to play that little piece of tape for us. Bill Rankin. So good to have you on the deep dive. Hello, I'm Bill Rankin. I go to court. I see important people. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So always wanted to do Kevin imitating me. Oh, Oh my God, that's fantastic. So, Kevin, how was it for you meeting the host and creator of the Breakdown podcast, Atlanta Journal-Constitution courts reporter, venerable journalist that you've been making fun of for two years, Bill Rankin? How was that for you? Well, I have been doing an impression of him. I I think he's great. He's just such a gentleman and a smart guy. And um, this is, I think, the first time I've done Toby's book club podcast where somebody written down notes. Yes. From a whole page, like, yeah. like he's doing a term paper, wow. and he would just pull it. Well, there was, on the, he didn't like mention the pages, but he had like quotes and stuff like it, because he's just wow. super prepared. Yeah, I have anyway. a question for you, though, because you do impressions of a lot of people. You have like yeah, your famous- Yeah, good impressions. Yeah, but, but you're famous for your impressions around our house anyway. Yeah. Like you do like impressions of celebrities and so forth. Is this the first time you have ever met somebody yes. you do an impression of that has heard your impression of them? Yes. Yes, it is, actually. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, yeah, no, it was good, because I just, hi. I'm Bill Wankin. <laughs> if you ever had an autopsy done, <laughs> it's not pleasant. You know? <laughs> oh, God. Do you do Toby and I when we're not around? No. <laughs> oh, I don't think I want to know. He doesn't. He's never no. done Toby or you. No, I should work on that, though, huh? You should work on that. <laughs> no, the best impression of you, Laura, was, I think, John David Booter and yes. his crew did the send-up of us. Yes. I mean, I thought that the- Crime uh, Writer's On. I sounded kind of depressed Crime Writer's that On, one, though. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, anyway well, that, that uh, podcast will be out for our Patreon subscribers as soon as Very Handsome Line producer Henry Lavoie gets it produced, which this is the week of the school musical and he's in the pit orchestra. So it's not going to be in the next couple of days, but it will be soon and we'll give you an update on that. And, Ke- and Toby, can you remind us what's the book that you guys talked about last night with the venerable reporter and Kevin's uh, newest, biggest fan, Bill Rankin? The Cadaver King and the Country Dentist 
by Radley Balco and Tucker Carrington. And it's, it's insane, like highly recommended. Uh, but it's about the, the sort of crazy death investigation system in Mississippi hmm. and just the crap that went on. Yeah, Laura, you should get the audio book so that you could rage walk yeah. nonstop. <laughs> you could your do house. like a rage, yeah. rage marathon. Okay, it, it's rage inducing. Okay, I need something rage inducing. Um, this winter weather has kind of got me off my raging schedule. You'll be angry all bit. the way to the ocean. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's it, good. That's like twenty miles. It's I can way do up that. there. That's good. It's okay. way up there. All right. All right. All right. Well, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True, True crime, crime update. update. Now, recently on the podcast, we discussed the Netflix documentary, Murder Mountain. Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, you pointed out to me that there was a little news item related to the Murder Mountain story this week. What is going on out there on Murder Mountain? Oh, so much, so much. Um, Hot Sheriff, um, my Mm. favorite, issued a 1,500-word Facebook note post response to Murder Mountain because they have been so inundated um, with people, you know, inquiring about things after watching the <laughs> Netflix series. You know, of course, it's it's like this always happens. So I'm just going to read you the introduction of what Hot Sheriff says, and then I'm going to tell you the other uh, well, the questions, are you us. single? Wait, does Hot Sheriff have a name, or are we just going to continue to refer to him as I Hot don't Sheriff? remember his name. Okay, we'll just, yeah. I, he I'll looks like Hot somebody. Like Hot I want to yeah. say he looks a little bit like the guy that was in The Mummy, but not really. What's his name? <laughs> Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Oh, yes. yeah. But it's not. He looks like somebody else. Maybe somebody in Jurassic Park. Anyway. Mm. A park ranger. So basically, no, it's not him. He looks like somebody. I can't think who it is. By the way, we're about to criticize a podcast in which I know we're all going to tear apart the last of fact-checking and journalism, and here we are. We can't remember a guy's name we talked about a week ago. (laughs) So basically what they say in their statement is that the original plot of the series that was presented to them was to examine how the changes in, you know, legalization of marijuana affected this county and the challenges of that, and then at some point during their taping, they decided to shift um, to the homicide investigation of Garrett Rodriguez. To those of you that have seen this series, please understand you have heard one side of a highly sensationalized story. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Office did not provide the film crew with any pertinent facts or evidence regarding this case because it is an open investigation. By relying on unofficial and biased sources, the producers of the series presented information that was not credible nor could be used in a court of law. I mean, we talked about that when we had the, you know, the the posse that went out and rounded up the, you know, um, witness to find out where Garrett's body was. Obviously, that was totally not something that could be used in court. I mean, first of all, they address hearsay and probable cause. Um, They say, you know, they do rely on information provided on witnesses and informants to serve warrants, but that is hearsay in court, a lot of what they get, and that's not something that's admissible. They addressed um, the role of their office and also the FBI in investigating the case, and that they attempted to get the FBI to review the case and filed as a federal case case um, because it was not the local district attorney said they would not file charges due to the lack of evidence. So that was why the FBI was involved. They also addressed, this was interesting, the sheriff's office presence in the Alder Point area. And in terms of like, you know, when we saw those scary shots of like the four wheelers and the guys with the guns on their backs, and it's like this sort of um, impression that like, yeah, they're just kind of not going out in that area. Like, why would you? Um, and they're saying, we are not deterred from working on cases in that area. Unfortunately, it appears a false message was construed in this documentary by private investigators um, that are not associated with us. So they're saying that, you know, during Garrett Rodriguez's case, they did lots of work. They served lots of search warrants. 
and they say, you know, we're, we're here to protect and serve, yada, yada, yada. So the director of Murder Mountain, Josh, he did respond and he was, you know, it didn't inflame things at all. He just said, they're pretty justified in making sure the community at large understands their role. I think it's important that people really do understand what prose- what is prosecutable versus not prosecutable and what you can bring to a DA's office in terms of trying a certain case. Um, he spoke highly of, oh, Here's his name. He spoke highly of Sheriff William Hansel. Yes, William Hansel. William Hansel. In particular, (laughs) citing the sheriff's dedication to the county. He said his goal was never to cast a negative light on the county, but rather to bring important issues to the surface. You know, this was one thing. There's been a lot of op-eds in the local newspaper. Um, There was one guy who was one of the, like, paid extras in the movie. He was like, no, this is totally accurate, and this is totally what it's like out here. So, you know, I think it's like the aftermath of anything like this where it gains a lot of attention there's you know everybody's gonna have something to say I don't and think thus the next ken kratz was born. no see i don't think that, that this sounds a little very reasonable to yeah, me no no i agree right actually. because the sheriff's right they can't talk about an ongoing yeah. investigation and you actually pose yeah. that thing like why don't they just ask them the question they probably did but the answer was unsatisfying yeah. so they leave it in that was i think where the biggest hole in yeah. that documentary was that they really didn't give i think a reasonable answer to the the audience about why the police are not Right. doing anything right. and it just seemed it didn't seem like no they're not doing anything it just feels like they're just leaving this blank right. hole in their story right so the sheriff had a reasonable response yeah and yeah. the filmmaker had a reasonable response to the sheriff's response toby yeah. um there's a huge controversy here right like we really need to inflame this and make it sound like a big deal right toby <laughs> they're both full of it <laughs> they're both in on it the, the thing in my mind and, and again you know it's it's a documentary there it's obviously edited and and they've got a point of view, and and maybe they were showing the police in a bad light in this way. But it just seemed like again and again and again, it's like, well, you heard this, like, well, we can't try somebody based on that. You know, I thought as well, but that doesn't that point you in a way in a, in a direction that you can investigate or do something, right? It seemed like that was an excuse to do nothing about it, when it, in fact it it seemed like it should be like, all right, well, maybe we should look into it. Um, Maybe they were, but they couldn't talk about it because it was ongoing. I think they are. I, th- well, I, think but it was, it was... I think they should have had like a disclaimer that said, due to the ongoing nature of the investigation, the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office cannot comment on this case. Like, I think if they had had something like that up front, but by not having it, it sort of in the way that it was framed, it sort of insinuated that they weren't doing anything. Do you know what I mean? And that came up yeah. about other things, too, like that Australian girl who was missing. Right. And they're like, well, we have no, you know, there's no, we have no proof that she was there. So, you know, what, what do you want us to do? My one like bone to pick with the sheriff statement is it really does bother me when people say like they talk about like a filmmaker and they're like a biased source or whatever. It's like there is a point of view, right? And it does have to be like a, a film or a movie. And that is the story they decided to tell. And I just think the word bias is misused uh, yeah. and used to discredit. The word bias has taken on new meaning then I, and I think people should be more careful about the way they use oh, it. That's I don't, the one thing I would say. It didn't sound to me like he's referring to the filmmakers as being biased. He's talking he's about, talking about the, sources. The, yeah, the people, they interviewed all these uh, you know, folks up in the hills, and so they obviously have a bias. They have a point of view. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I just think, I, th- I think savvier people, when dealing with that kind of thing, sort of say, well, this is a piece of entertainment, and you know, they have to take a certain point of view because they want to have... You know, it's got to be entertaining and stuff, but but don't think that what they're doing is showing like the full picture. Right. Uh, they're showing a picture that they think it's going to bring in viewers, 
you know, that to me is is like the message that you should be sending, which is, yeah, I understand what they're doing. They're they're trying to create a product that people are going to want to watch. But at the same time, you have to understand that there are corners cut and there, there, there are positions taken that don't necessarily reflect the overall story of what's going on. So you just have to keep that in mind. Right. That seems to me to be the most reasonable response rather than being like they're biased and they're talking to the biased people. Right. If you weren't savvy enough to understand that it's not going to necessarily be showing things the way you want them to be shown is like, then maybe you should have thought twice about participating in it. Mm. If you didn't at least understand the possibility that you might not be shown in the best light. See, I actually think participating more, and I, I make this case again and again and again, can only help you. I mean, this is something that I'm seeing up close in my newsroom right now with the Bear Brook podcast, right? This is a story in which it would be very easy to burn law enforcement or burn investigators because there was this long, unsolved case. And the questions raised, one of the questions raised in that podcast is like, why didn't they find that second barrel? Like, why did it take so long? Like, those last questions like that. But you have to sort of maintain those relationships and give people the opportunity to participate as much as possible because eventually when that case does break, like, you want the investigators to want to talk to the reporter about the story. And there is, like, a bridge-burning aspect to some of the ways that journalists and filmmakers can or can choose or not choose to behave. I wonder just what that agreement looked like. But it seems like both – I mean, the sheriff, I think, seems overall reasonable. And to me, the filmmaker's response sounds respectful and reasonable. So maybe we're talking yeah. about this for giving it too much time. Doesn't sound well, like I thought much it was there, interesting there. <laughs> that he that they released their statement on Facebook. I thought that was very interesting. The fifteen hundred word Facebook message. It didn't Long go Facebook out as a press message. release. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that was kind of an interesting venue. Yeah. All right. Well, Kevin, yeah. moving on. Can you please read this for me? True, True crime, crime podcast, podcast. update. Kevin. There's yeah. been a new filing in the Adnan Syed case related to some legal developments. Of course, Adnan Syed is the main character in the granddaddy of all true crime podcast serial season one. What is that? <laughs> uh, could you tell us what's going on in the Adnan Syed case? Yeah, Justin Brown and his team have filed, uh, I guess, a supplemental uh, document, uh, a supplemental filing for Maryland's Supreme Court, so the Court of Special Appeals, and it has to do with arguments around a case out of Alabama. Alabama's Supreme Court uh, just made a, a ruling in a case in regards to alibi witnesses. And uh, the reason it, it came up is that the state, arguing against Adnan Syed and the appeals, cited a case out of Alabama which was not favorable to them. So what has happened in the the interim is that the Alabama Supreme Court has gone back and sort of undercut that case that the state of Maryland has cited in the Adnan Syed appeal. Huh. So it basically saying, look, you said that this was, you know, you you know, you, this you're, is your you're, foundation. This is your foundation. Well, that state just, you know, took it, out, it overturned it. Wow. So you know, so to try to like you know make their case stronger by pointing out a further weakness in the state's argument. So why make this filing now? They've had this argument. Now we're just waiting for the judges to make the decision. Why file this now? Because we're after oral arguments now? Well, they are deliberating. Mm. So, you you know, you don't get a whole other set of oral arguments. But I guess it's... uh, I guess it's okay to file this. It's it's only like three or four pages. It's right. not like a giant, 
Catherine Zellner. Kathleen Zellner. Kathleen Zellner, uh, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings size <laughs> document. But, you know, I think th- th- that's the kind of thing. And it's, it's funny because, like, uh, if this were like a U.S. Supreme Court case, the, the uh, state Supreme Court would have to take notice. Sometimes, you know, in cases that go to a state appellate court, attorneys will cite cases from other states. Right. Which don't necessarily, just because this state says this, your state doesn't need to follow that. It's not like the Supreme Court says it. Right. You know, that's now, that's the precedent that the courts are supposed to follow. But it does act as a good guide. It's a pattern. It's a pattern, right? right. You say, well, hey, look, in Alabama, they did this. And in, in Wyoming- So it's reasonable. It's reasonable. They're try, trying to prove that, look, you know, this case was argued here and these judges, you know, found it on our side. So that's where we are. Um, still, there's no timetable yet on when a decision will be rendered in that appeal. So it's kind of like if uh, you were reading about something and I was like, while you're reading about that, you should also read this. <laughs> That's yes. kind of what they're doing. Yeah, they're basically Amazoning them. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you like the state's argument. Other judges ordered this. <laughs> you might also like this overturning of that state's argument. <laughs> That's a really good way to explain it. Like, I like that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Legal strategy by Amazon algorithm. Yeah, yeah. I like it's it. the wave of the future. Justin Brown, huh. if you want some advice on that, feel free to give me a call. Well, we always show up together. What do you like, mean? If you ever go to like look up your own books, we like oh, we, yeah. it's like also recommended books by Toby, Kevin, Rebecca. If, yes. If people bought Deadly Sins, yeah. they also bought Lie After Lie by <laughs> Laura Bricker and the City Trilogy by Toby Ball. Yes. Our algorithms are connected, guys. I hope you're okay with that. Deadly Sins? It's okay. I don't know. It's not one of our books, is it? No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like, Who what deadly that? sins? It just sounds like one of the stupid names that one of our books has. We were probably yeah. on that. We were on that Listen, TV show. But... I love our, like writing with you, but let's be real. Our books some, had some pretty stupid names. At least some of them did. Oh, we'll, well have to have. A, come up with names. Yeah. Legally dead We'll have to is have a, a podcast about how that shit goes down, <laughs> about the sausage being made. All right. Well, speaking of uh, weirdly named things, I just want to uh, answer a burning listener question that I've gotten a bunch on Twitter in the last week. Apparently, Mike Bodette from Sword and Scale has a new podcast. Will we be listening to it and reviewing it on this show? The answer is no. Okay, moving on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Again, speaking of oddly named things. The unlikely collaboration between How Stuff Works and Glamour Magazine brings us broken hearts. This podcast recalls the tragic story of Jennifer and Sarah Hart. This couple presented to the world as the perfect mothers to their six adopted children until Jennifer drove her family off a cliff in Northern California. Investigators have been desperate to figure out how that family flew off that cliff in California and whether it was on purpose. Early the morning of March 26th, rescue workers rappelled down the cliff where they lifted the dead bodies of three children. I'm to the point where I no longer am calling this an accident, I'm calling it a crime. Together, we've been looking into this story for the past six months. And what has emerged is one of the most complex and compelling stories of abuse, neglect, privilege, and confusion in the digital age we've ever encountered. Who are these women? And how did they come to adopt six children? Two sets of three black siblings. 
Broken Heart's stated purpose in the podcast is to shed light on the neglect and abuse in the family that preceded the murder suicides and dig a little deeper into the systemic breakdown that led to their deaths at the bottom of that Oceanside cliff. Now, we will be discussing plot points of Broken Hearts. So if you want to hear our spoiler free, should you listen, up or down review, go ahead and go to the time code listed in the show notes. Guys, I have a question for you, and I just want to get it out of the way, because I don't want to put us all through an exercise where we're talking about this podcast and reviewing it, and we don't just sort of put out there that we have strong feelings that will infuse the entire conversation. So, Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you, because um, (laughs) the beginning of the notes you sent to me tonight say, I hated this podcast so much, I'm not sure where to begin. So let's just get it out there. You don't have to say all the reasons why you hate it because we are going to have a conversation. But you just want to say for the record that you hate this podcast so we can just get it out there. I hate it. I was talking about it at dinner. I It was just bad. Okay. There was like sound issues. There was lazy journalism issues. There was weird narration issues. There was just, this is a story that I felt like could have been done in a very different way. And I was very unhappy with how it was. It made me rage. But not in a good way, right? Not in a good way, more like I rage at the fact that the story wasn't done the justice that it, it could have been done and that I actually learned more information going and reading the Oregonian newspaper for the series that they did, which basically sounds like what they used as their crib notes for this. I'm a huge fan of the Oregonian, by the way. Shout out to them because they have some amazing online work that I'd highly recommend everyone look at, not just for this story, but for all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oregonian is a great outlet. All right. Well, let's talk about what the, um, as I just mentioned, the stated mission of the podcast is to dig deep into this story. <laughs> Toby, do you think this podcast delivers on that promise, that stated mission to get into the story, to get the story behind the story, to bring us something that we haven't heard before or need to learn that is kind of the underpinnings of the story? What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, I had never heard of anything about this. Mm. So it the bar was pretty low for, for filling me in. I guess one of the one of the things about it, and there's kind of an irony because they do kind of address it in some ways and not in others, is that it does seem like everything's at an arm's length. Like you never really penetrate into the family. It's you're you're kind of talking to people who've observed them or have had different interactions with them and stuff. But that seems to be about where it stops. Mm. Like and you get you you certainly get a picture uh, eventually of like what should have been warning signs I guess yeah but at least up until the point at which we are now in the in the series I didn't feel like I was like getting like you know quote unquote the inside scoop it was more let's talk to a whole bunch of people who knew them let's take a look at their Facebook let's take a look at some videos we kind of throw them all together and you get sort of this you know, a basic picture of, of, of what they were. Yeah. That seemed about as far as it went. Now, Kevin, one of the things that I observed about this podcast is it has a whole lot of, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell mm-hmm. you. And then I'm going to tell you what I just told you. And then I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you again. The signposting. But I mean? never yeah. feel like I actually got what it um, is they told us they were going to tell us or what they just told us or what they're about to tell us. You know what I mean? I'm just going to play a quick clip that illustrates that. We've talked about how Jen and Sarah Hart met each other and how they quickly adopted six kids. We've talked about how Jen curated an identity for the family on social media and at music festivals. And we've talked about how the Hearts lived. Now, we're going to talk about how they died. Uh, did they tell us how they died? They didn't tell us how they lived or how they yeah. died. They didn't actually deliver on either one of those Well, things. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't hate this podcast as much as 
everybody else, apparently. But there was an awful lot of interesting stuff there about this family and the way that these parents were trying to portray this perfect life that they were leading. You know, I found there were certainly a lot of anecdotes about like, wow, that's really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and those were good. And there's a couple of, you know, really good. Uh, there's some great found audio from some 911 calls. And I, mean, I think there's a couple of things that I you know kind of like to say about how it's structured about. I mean, I think there's they left a lot of the interviews and a lot of the tape going too long for for mediocre quality tape mm. by mediocre quality and not by what people are saying. But. Are you talking about Zippy, the friend, who's also a social media expert, who posits a theory that they then toss to an expert who's not really an expert on that theory? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Well, (laughs) that is problematic. No, I'm just saying that, look, it's way better to interview somebody by telephone. It sounds better than to go to their house and be there in person, but have them five feet off of Mike. Right. You know, that yeah. doesn't sound good. And, you know, again, if that's what you have, that's fine, but it's just so much of that. It makes it hard to hear. I have yeah. a basic question for you. Can you name either one of the two hosts or the reporter for this podcast? Uh, there's Liz. Um, and, and you're looking on your phone right now. And you don't Justine know. Justine Harmon. Yeah. You no, literally no, don't they, know. And what's the name of the field reporter with the quote, with the, who would they describe as the husky voice? What's her name? I, I don't know. Okay, so the two main characters in the podcast, Jennifer and Sarah Hart, do you have a sense of which one is which, <laughs> who they are, and what their roles no, were in the relationship? No, I mean, I don't yes. think it's really no. necessary. I'm totally but, confused no. on those no, two. No, I totally do. Okay, Toby, oh, Toby, go. I thought that's what they did a good job of, is that, the, is that Jen was sort of the, the, the stronger personality who kind of ran the family, and then Sarah, who did all the work, you know, who was like working at, you know, Coles or wherever it was. Oh, I thought you were talking about the uh, reporters. No, I'm just talking about like, do you know? I mean, that's the thing. Well, when to you me. asked if I know the names, would you? Did you mean the two reporters or the two women? Both. Yeah, I didn't either, Rebecca. I'm with you. It's it was very confusing. Now, now for the record, the the two hosts are mm. Jennifer Harmon, who who's an editor, features editor at Glamour, and Elizabeth Egan, who's a books editor at Glamour, and then they have the field reporter Lauren Smiley, who's the one who's ostensibly driving around and talking to these people. And at the very at the beginning, they do this like long intro of all of them. But then there's they don't really serve any narrative or guiding purpose no. throughout the show. They just read. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like if you're going to have three people and you're going to identify them that way, like do something with who you are, yeah. like bring yourself to it. Have a reason for being there. Kevin, what are you going to say? There was something right off the bat where I realized this is a podcast that's written by people that don't write for radio, that don't write for podcasting, that write for no. the page. And this was this was the line where they start talking about the kids. There they was were Marcus, 19, Hannah, 16, Devante, 15, Abigail and Jeremiah, both 14, and Sierra, 12. 12. So there are... Nine commas and a semicolon. Right. <laughs> and people don't talk like that. And, and if you had any experience in radio, you would know to write that in some other way. Telescope it. Well, I mean, no, just to structure the sentence in a way like kids, people talk. Ages 12 through 18. Right, right. So and, he, and so was the oldest. Yeah. Marcus was 19. You know, how about a verb? Can I buy a verb? So that's why I just like, okay, so I don't know who these people, I don't know if they're going to be, this is the right thing for them. I think it's like, hey, we have a couple of things to tape here. Podcasts are exciting. Everybody's doing yeah. one. Let's write a podcast yeah. and then record it. All right. Well, yeah. we are going to talk about uh, more plot points and sort of um, 
some of the deeper story stuff in a second, but I do want to address one journalistic issue that I have. Yeah. And I kind of want to get your guys' take on this. Um, Did anybody besides me notice that over and over and over again in this podcast, there is tape of the host saying, we can't know what this person said, did, thought, etc. But we can guess that what they must have been thinking, X, Y, Z, this or this. A lot of supposition. Uh, the kind of things you might do in a book and your editor would 100% strike out if you did. Laura, did you pick up on that? Yeah, I, I, it was, it was, it drove me nuts. Um, I, I especially noticed it when they were talking about the children at one point. If you've ever done school drop-off, you know the scene. Big backpacks, shuffling sneakers, maybe a little sister waving from the back seat. For lots of kids, the next seven hours are a drudgery to be endured. For the hearts, the school day might have been a welcome respite from what was going on at home. And I'm like, how do you even know this? You don't know this. You're just making this up. Like, you know, they were sort of surmising how the children might have felt about that. And it was like, well, you didn't interview anyone who talked about that. It just, that that kind of... I didn't like that along with the descriptions of the kids that were only based on Facebook posts where it was like so-and-so with the, he's the one with the big brown eyes who likes a trampoline or something like that was like the only way that we had to know anything about the kids. It just, I felt like it was very superficial and just, um, it fell very flat for me because I really didn't have any sense of who the kids were even less because of the way that they were describing them. You know, the fact that they're doing that while at the same time, one of the themes of the podcast is how Facebook and social media uh, is not reflective of, you know, reality right. in many cases. And then they use Facebook as for like the source of the descriptions of these kids when it seems pretty clear from the context of the rest of the story that these kids were basically put in situations where they could be seen as being like Laura was saying, you know, she likes to like cuddle ducklings or whatever. It's like, well, actually you like found a duckling and gave it to her and took a picture. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's the reality of the situation. Right. Kevin, what do you think about this, about sort of like the, the structure and sort of like the lack of depth of some of that journalism that this podcast is bringing to us? Yeah. No, I just feel like that they are in love with theme. And that's what they're writing about. Is And I think, you know, Laura said, oh, they must have enjoyed the school. And I mean, again, it starts off like this wasn't like another trip. They probably would have, you know, any other time they would have all lined up and taken a photograph. The cliff is the kind of place Jennifer Hart would have loved to photograph her kids. On other trips, Jen and her wife, Sarah, might have pulled to the side of the road and had their brood line up as they often did. Backs to the camera, hands raised in peace signs, a Technicolor sunset framing their silhouettes. I think that like those themes ought to be self-evident, mm. uh, you know, and, and I think you can you can prop them up a little bit and hold them. But I don't think you need to essentially make a heart length Facebook post right. out of it. Right. Certainly those themes and those anecdotes that they suppose about are probably there if they could just sort of, you know, sniff them out better. Right. Uh, speaking of sniffing stuff out, kitty litter. Oh, God. Oh, dear oh, God. It's <laughs> not something that you really like. In your house, but pretty litter. <laughs> yes, yes. Is the wonderful kitty litter 2.0. It's shipped right to your door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts the entire month. Very smooth, Kevin. Very smooth. Yes, that was nice, Kevin. Yeah, Laura, now uh, you were able to say goodbye to conventional cat litter and switch to pretty litter. Tell me, uh, yes. did your cats enjoy 
the high-tech advanced pretty litter? Yeah, you know what was great about it is that it definitely cut down on the amount of scooping and stuff that you're doing because you're only scooping out the poop part and then you stir it up and everything sort of dissolves again and you don't have that sort of like, you know, sometimes you walk in a house and you smell like cat litter. Yeah, yeah. You don't have that traditional like clay kind of cat litter undercurrent to your house because it just... You know, whatever they put in it just sort of manages the smell, which is awesome. And and there's also the health benefits. You know, for the most part, my cats were in the healthy range. So everything was like blue or green, like it was supposed to be. But if it changed color, um, then, you know, hey, something might be going on here. Right. Changes color based on what's in their urine. Yeah. So, you know, if there's something, maybe you should have your vet check out with your cat because cats are pretty sneaky about illnesses. So it's really hard to know when something's going on with your cat. Yeah, and it's good, you know, when you see that the the color of uh, the pretty litter is fine, you don't have to worry so much that maybe there's something wrong with uh, with your cat's health. It's a little more reliable than just looking at the facial expression it gives to Toby as he's holding it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so make the switch to pretty litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code CRIME, crime. for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com. Promo code CRIME for 20% off. PrettyLitter.com. Promo code CRIME. CRIME. All right. Now, let's do an exercise. I would like to talk about- I don't like exercises. I'd like to talk about um, some of the elements of the story of this podcast, the story behind this podcast, the story the podcast is trying to present- But there are some interesting aspects of the story um, that the podcast does not do well that are just interesting aspects of the story. One of the big ones has to do with race. Now, we got a bunch of comments on our Facebook group about this, about how the podcast doesn't address it, you know, in a consequential way. It much dances around it. But there is, to me, a very interesting story to explore here about these black kids being adopted by this white couple who also positioned themselves as being marginalized and how complaints of black kids were maybe not taken as seriously because there's sort of this white savior thing around transracial adoption. And I think that's a very interesting aspect of the story. You know, whether or not the podcast touched on it, it's something that is worth exploring. Toby, what do you think about that? You know, I think the the mental exercise is if you had an African-American couple adopting six white kids who went out to their neighbors and said, we're getting abused, like what would be the response? Mm. And I think it would probably be a little more forceful. I kind of understand that when you're thinking like they were, I don't know if they were savvy or what, but the idea that you're adopting three kids from the same family, some of whom are like, not like old, old, but decently along in age. I think it's unusual to have people who are willing to do that. Um, So I think that made it easier for them to get like two groups of of three kids. I don't know. I mean, I I do think there is this benefit of the doubt that's given to them. But I think the whole thing about like when the kids were like all lined up and like marching into school. Mm. I can remember them all getting out and standing in a line and just waiting until they were all out in this line. And then they would just walk right in just like little soldiers. And, you know, we thought it was my husband and I would talk about it and say, well, I guess, you know, they're well behaved. That should be alarming, right? right? I mean, that's just weird. Or singing a song on Facebook where the only lyrics are, we are so well provided for. We are so provided for. We are so provided for. That's yeah. fucked up. God. 
Yeah, that that's all fed line, huh? Tell everybody you're well provided for. It's fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think they do touch on those points, Toby. I think it's near the end of episode five, where basically the you know the thought posed because always just sort of these you know rhetorical thoughts is that perhaps that political correctness contributed to the lack of intervention that people said that they didn't want us you've got a lesbian couple and you've got african-american kids and they felt like if i went in and made complaints or reported them that it would look like i'm homophobic or racist or you know that those kinds of anxieties prevented people from doing was just the obviously the right thing it doesn't matter that you've got two moms who appear to be fantastic and that they're gay. It's obviously something that's wrong with the kids. I think there's something else at play here. I think there's something else at play here that a couple of our listeners pointed out to us on our Facebook group and that I completely agree with. It's this, and we've, we've talked about this theme on our podcast before with other um, crimes, especially like police shooting of uh, you know young black boys, mm-hmm. that there is this very warped perception of black kids like not being as innocent as white kids. And surely from our Facebook group says, you know, as with the R. Kelly documentary, which, you know, we may at some point talk about on the show, the welfare of black children gets ignored. There's a lot of work that speaks about how black kids are never seen as innocent and deserving of harsher treatment because of a perception that they are inherently unruly. And if you look at what this, how this couple talked about their kids and how they sort of portrayed them in these long social media posts as having all of these problems of, you know, being so difficult, being so like out of control and it all being this like awful exercise. And everybody is just like, oh, you guys are saints and angels. Like nobody is saying to these women, like, these are children. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like they're kids. They're kids who... You know, I have had a lot of disruption in their lives. Like, do not put on display what you perceive as their, you know, lack of innocence and their inherent unruliness. I think Shirley has a really good point there. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with Toby. I mean, that was something that I was thinking about as I was listening to this is that had the the roles been reversed a little bit, the outcome may have been very different in terms of what happened to these kids. Because right. they, there certainly would have been some sort of, I think there would have been some sort of intervention earlier. Right. You know, certainly when the girl ran to the neighbor's house in the middle of the night and they're just like, well, you know, we can't just go to somebody's house because, you know, they say something <laughs> like whatever they say. It was like kind of like, a, you, can. <laughs> you know, it was like a stupid answer. I was like, really? Uh, this seems like you should do a little more follow up. Well, we went. They said they're fine. I'm like, yeah, that yeah. seems a little weird. Um, that, by the way, was like some of the best tape of this podcast to me was these neighbors and this sort of evolution that the neighbors had. And my favorite piece of tape, the father. The hero dad. Of the yes. woman. Hi. How can I help you? Yeah, there's some kids that I feel is being highly abused in uh, Woodland, Washington. And basically, my son-in-law is like most people. They don't want to get involved. And so he's keeping my daughter out of it. But since she's told me about it, I just can't live with it. I'm very concerned for these kids. And, and I was like, uh, you know what? If this this it could have been a very different ending. Um so it, it definitely, I think, you know, does play into that not wanting to seem like you're singling somebody out because of their race or their sexuality. And that may have colored people in terms of how they saw what was happening. Oh, no, they're just organic. 
that's why they're all so skinny. Yeah. Um, because they're like organic hippie lesbians. Like, okay, that's cool. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very interesting point, and I feel like it's something that could have been explored a little bit more. Totally. Well, that's like the whole story with this podcast because there is this very yeah. interesting question they ask at one point where they tease whether or not these kids should even been available for adoption because they talk about like the aunt who wanted to you know, raise one or more of the kids and like the system said no and took and there is actually a lot of stuff there which we've talked about on this show around the um the 60s scoop around Connie Walker's reporting in Canada mm-hmm, yeah. about like minority kids the default position is to take them away from their parents take them away from their nuclear families in a way that white kids are not white kids are given more of a chance to stay with relatives there is a bigger story there and this podcast like they dance around it they mention it for like a sentence and then they run away from it and they go back to like footage of them at like a hippie music festival. Like that's the real story. Like that is not the real story here. I guess my question was like, how? What? One of them didn't. One of them get charged with child abuse at one point, yes. or am I missing? Yes. And and then like they moved away. They were separate, and then they reunited, and that was like all cool. I wanted more information on that. All I felt cool. like that was yeah. Okay. But I think what's yeah, sort good. of left, uh, you know, and I don't know if they're going to, you know, get to it in, in later episodes, but like the big holes that in the story that aren't being addressed are one, the breakdown in the system because they've been flagged in all these different places. You know, there hasn't been a lot about that other than to say, oh, they were reported and then they left. So there hasn't been so far a lot of digging on, you know, what happened there. And also, I mean, the interesting thing about the relationship of the adults, it's it doesn't seem like it's Jen and Sarah who are the bad actors in the family. It seems like it's just Jennifer. I would like I to know. Say at one point, Sarah starts going along with it. Yeah, but 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 my, we don't know but, though. No, no. But what, I, what I'm actually getting to is like we don't know anything right. about Jennifer and Sarah. Right. Their relationship. Well, but we know how, how they live. We know how the parent. We know we know how they live. Do we? <laughs> no, we, we don't. We know that they dominated the kids. Right. But I, do we not suspect? And have we not heard anything along the lines of Jennifer probably dominating Sarah? They touched on it. They I mean, Jennifer was on not it. behind the wheel. Yes. You know, when the thing went over, she is literally controlling everything, every place. they go. Every time I get to one of these major plot points in this podcast, I feel like it's a person walking over. This happened to me this morning. I accidentally went to like, grab a towel in the bathroom and I touched my hot curling iron and I pulled my hand back real fast. And that's how it feels with these elements in the story. It's like they tease that idea, that controlling relationship by talking about them meeting in college and then like... Sarah getting sucked into the gen, but they tease it and they immediately run away from it. They sort of tease the sort of how them being lesbians led to people like not being like willing to quit. And then they they kind of run away from it. And that kind of brings me to the next big story point here in this crime story, which is the social media aspect of it. The fact that this couple were perceived as perfect, quote, the Hart tribe, which, by the way, that is a very fucking problematic nickname for a family where they have six adopted black kids. But let's just leave that there. They, they sort of talk about this perfection that's being able to be portrayed on social media. And um, social media and sociological expert and friend Zippy makes the observation that without social media, like none of this would have happened. But there is something interesting to explore there about that sort of fake booking, that perfectionistic outside veneer there's an interesting story there to explore. And Toby, you actually pinned that as one of the things that you thought was one of the more interesting things about the podcast. Yeah. Like I kind of felt a little bit about this the same way I felt about cold, which is that, you know, you can kind of find interesting things to pull out, but they don't do a very good job of actually telling you about them. 
The way I kind of sort of mentally framed this was that it was Jen had a kind of lifestyle that she liked to think of herself living, which I think involved like sort of radical inclusion and going to these, you know, hippie fests. You know, she kind of created this alternate reality on Facebook and social media and also sort of publicly you know, being behind Bernie Sanders and her having uh, the the one kid cry and hug a cop and have that go viral and like all this stuff they do like, you know, at these festivals where they're all dressed up and it's free hugs and I really and appreciate how stuff. they had us listen to the hug. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Good like, audio, right? Yeah, the audio. That was great. Anyway, keep going, Toby. Sorry. So, well, I, anyway, I so so the way I kind of interpreted this whole thing was was that, you know, Jen is kind of creating this, you know, alternate reality for herself, for people. She was concerned about how people perceived her. She wanted to be perceived in a certain way. And she created a situation in which with all these African-American kids and her lesbian wife and all this stuff, like she could portray herself as being this certain type of, of person. And she liked going to those festivals and all this stuff. But in reality, to sort of maintain that facade there's all this other stuff which is sort of truer to who she is. You know, you don't get much insight into it other than the fact that she's like clearly at the very least like somewhat sadistic mm. um, and controlling and, you know, abusive. It's sort of all in order to project this certain image of her life. That was kind of the way I took this whole thing, but I don't think they kind of make that point themselves. I th- that was kind of my yeah, it was your interpretation take right. of it. And I agree yeah. with you because I just keep thinking this overly demonstrative, perfect family veneer that they show on Facebook. You know, the kids and I did this and all these like loving anecdotes about the interactions with the kids. It's not a whole lot different because that was obviously hugely contrasted from the reality of what was going on. That is not a lot different from how abusive partners act in public to their partners. Yeah. Often abusive partners are the most demonstrative, physically uh, connected. Why are you touching me when you say that? Like, uh, like, like, <laughs> like, you know, sir, on the surface obsessed with... Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's they, they think about the portrayal of, of the couple in uh, Big Little Lies, I think was very accurate sort mm-hmm. of portrayal yeah. of like a physically abusive partner and how in public everybody thought they were perfect. This didn't surprise me. I'll tell you, whenever and I there's see- There's no cleaner floor than one that just had a blood stain exactly. on it from a homicide. Whenever right? I see so, a perfect relationship on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. I always know it's super fucked up, right? Yeah. So when you saw my totally disastrous Christmas tree thing today, you knew that was the truth. Totally exactly. true. Now, Laura, you, do you know, <laughs> you mean, you know people, though, who like put this kind of brand out there, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Make this the total BS. Obviously, oh, yeah. they're all not like uh, child abusers and murderers, but like- no. These are the people that have the matching outfits in their photos and they're at the beach and they have like coordinated, like they're all wearing like white shirts and Jeans. like a little bit. Of, yes. And it's like, <laughs> hey, look, here's our golden retriever. Yay. Um, <laughs> that was actually part of this podcast that I did really relate to was listening to this whole because you definitely when you look at your social media feed, you see there's certain people who totally curate their life. Mm. And it's like, oh, those people are doing always the best things. Like, I want their life. And it's like, no, they're really not once you get to know them. But, you know, you only put up what you want people to see. So it's, I thought about that this week as I was looking, you know, as I'm scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And I'm like, oh, look at, look at those perfect people. (laughs) And they have lots of, lots of examples of that in the podcast. But I think they linger on them far too long 
individually yeah. and like to re- you know first to say this is a long facebook post but bear with us i still feel like when they're reading the facebook post it's like there's a lot of what we call dead wood right that, like you could Fella. just yeah it felt like you Cut could it. just get yeah. you know if you want to read read the really important stuff summarize the rest of it and don't make us sit through a giant paragraph right and that just happens sort of over and over again even like with the really good Found it. Like, there was like way too much of the nine one one call thing. Right. You know, it's like this is really good. Okay, enough already though. Well, Sarah from our Facebook group uh, sort of points to what you pointed out, Toby, where she says like she keeps waiting for the experts to come in and validate some of this like supposition the hosts are doing and some of the stuff we're taking away from it. She says, I don't want any more fake book posts. I want facts to flesh out the story. Where are the pathologists and accident reconstruction folks to explain the final moments? Where are the psychologists to explain the behaviors of the parents? She's sort of talking about what we're talking about, where like there is something here, but the show doesn't deliver on, on pointing to the fact that we're right. That really is what's going on. All they do is say... Here's what we think is going on. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I just like an expert or just or, or just something like even if they're talking about it, you know, just to get beyond what we get. Again, I, I think it's odd for a show that sort of comes close to making a point about social media and how sort of superficial social media is that their sort of examination of all this stuff is also somewhat superficial. Mm. So yeah, it would be nice to have experts that they talk to or whatever, but even if it was just them through reporting or whatever, thinking and then writing about it, giving some kind of context or observation or analysis or something. The, The whole thing with like Facebook and social media and what I think, again, makes this kind of interesting is this is such an extreme case of what is normal. Like nobody puts like on Facebook, like, yeah, you know, the wife and I had a little blow up about something or like, oh shit, look at my kitchen. Somebody really needs to clean up. Someone doesn't follow me on Facebook, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. With a few like sociopathic uh, exceptions. Look at my broken leg again. <laughs> look at the hair under my cast. <laughs> like, I'm not sure who I, th- God, I'm going to get this totally wrong. I don't know if it's Eric Erickson or somebody, but some psychologist is like, you know, it's the looking glass self or the mirror self or whatever, but that you, the way that you act is the way you want people to think that you are. Mm-hmm. And like right. social media is kind of like the ultimate like end of that. And I think that again, I guess I'm just making the same point I made before, but what makes this kind of interesting is that you had a person who went to these like great lengths to achieve that. When in fact that wasn't, <laughs> it you know it wasn't a very accurate depiction of her in reality. Can I tell you what my favorite part of the podcast has been? Yes. And they go, it was 1999, living La Vida Loca. It was like it wasn't that long ago. It was like yes, it's 1999. Exactly right. You could get a loaf of bread for they a nickel. Really bend over backwards to remind us that America was in a bigoted point in its history. It's like, we know. Like, we were all there, A. Yeah. But B, it is a very long section to drive home the fact that, yes, this lesbian couple kind of came of age in an era where there was a debate going on about the legalization of gay marriage and Michelle Bachman was in the forefront. Yeah, we know. I'm like, are you guys 16? Did you, like, miss this? (laughs) Well, you never know. People didn't know Ricky Martin was gay. It's like, yeah. 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 Oh, we did. (laughs) We listened 
listen to Ricky Martin all the time at my bar class. I love it. Uh, so Ricky Martin is a nice yeah. snack. Way to draw say. the thread, though. Oh, we don't know if Ricky Martin knew the hearts, but if he did. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Here's what he would say. Here's what he would say. Yeah, um, he might have had problems with them. Who knows? <laughs> so I want to quickly just touch on a couple of comments from our Facebook group uh, that the wonderful fans of this show posted about broken hearts and just respond to them quickly maybe like a little bit of a lightning round we covered a lot of these talking points but one of the things that we didn't talk about and this is from our friend Sarah uh, who we actually know in real life Sarah Plord writes so how about that heinous broken hearts artwork Kevin what the fuck (laughs) if you've downloaded the podcast you know what we're talking about the little ornament of the the Christmas yes, kind of hanging on a tree outside like suspended in midair yes that's a little tacky it's a little too on point, like the name, yeah. Broken Hearts. Yeah. Because, yeah. What's wrong with the name of this podcast? Well, Kevin? okay, you know, it seems like, oh, it's pretty obvious and that's clever, but they died by being crushed in a fall. Right. Which so we don't actually know hearts. from the podcast, by the way. Well, we haven't found that out yet. <laughs> but imagine, but look, if they had been all stabbed and you called it Bleeding Hearts, right. again, you'd be like, oh, it's clever, but it's a little too on point. Right. So, I don't know. It's so a quibble with the title, even though it seems rather obvious. But the freaking art, the, the, oh my God. I'm like, that's weird. It's really bad. It's really bad. All right. So Joel. It's actually a beautiful picture, but it's just weird. It's weird. So, so Joel on our Facebook group says, is anyone else completely disturbed and confused by that ad that plays in Broken Hearts where Kevin Pollack in a weird manic fashion <laughs> promotes his quote hilarious podcast? Every time it comes on, it's so jarring. It's got to be one of the most out of place advertisements I've ever heard. And it's just a plain bad ad, no matter what podcast it was placed in to advertise on. Toby, thoughts? I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. But uh, none of the ads on this show made me really want to listen to these other shows. Yeah. yeah. Even the dumb book for babies one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And the nice synthesizer that would play when they'd go into dun, a break. Dun, dun, dun. No, just the. Uh, Oh, because they also advertised that one that we talked about recently. Donk, 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 like. <laughs> yes. All right. Now, Laura, uh, this one's for you. Um, this is from Jenny. Can you possibly add a plug for anyone listening to contact authorities if they have reason to believe a child they know is being abused or neglected? Laura Bricker, do you want to make that plug? Absolutely. I mean, that's it's listening to this. There was a few people that did contact the authorities. And it doesn't sound like things went... Uh, how you would hope they would go. But, you know, I think that shouldn't deter you from making a report. I mean, it's like if you have teenagers and you maybe hear something about one of their friends and you're like, ah, you know, you should definitely let somebody know, you know, if you know there's something going on. So I would say report away. Be the big snitch like me. Yeah. Would you say if a kid directly comes to your house in the middle of the night and says, please help me, I am being abused? Perhaps get involved, and then like, yeah. and then like, don't wait for your dad to get talk you into it. Like, I know mm. the dad. I love that guy. I Hero want to follow dad. up with him. Hero dad should yeah. have his own fucking podcast, as far as I'm concerned. I loved that guy. All right, well, let's do what we do at this time in the podcast, and let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down review of the mega hit podcast, Broken Hearts, from Glamour Magazine and How Stuff Works. Should our listeners check out this true crime story if they haven't yet? Thumbs up or thumbs down, Laura Bricker? I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Um, I'm going to say thumbs down. And I I don't do that often. But in this particular case, I just felt like 
I didn't take away anything from this podcast that I couldn't have found out by reading the news articles about it. And I actually learned more from the news articles. So I felt like there was some interesting tape that I did like of the neighbors, of the father who called, you know, as things progressed. But overall, I just, this was a big no for me. Terry Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Broken Hearts? Is, is this really a mega hit? Well, it's been on the top 10 in the iTunes charts for every week since it's been out. It's a bigger hit than our podcast, so I'd say yes. It's a hit. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So I I guess my feeling is like I don't – it's more in disappointment than anger that I give it a thumbs down. It just seems to me like they know what's interesting about it, but they just don't go there for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean it's just – you know, it's, it's just not that good, I guess. So, yeah, thumbs down. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs down as well for all the reasons that you two just said. And for the reason that Jen in our Facebook group said, I think this is the best take I've heard on this podcast. She says, it's like the People magazine of podcasts. Super intriguing story cover, but not much substance. And then you feel like a sick gawker for wanting to know all of the dirty details. That's about right. It's about how I felt. I oh. listened to it. Like she didn't I, have her own podcast I don't to know, do this but stuff? Like, I, I binged it, and then I felt gross because... There's just no journalism there, and it was just me listening to people guess about the bad stuff going on when there's so much more there that could have been explored. And there's tons of also production issues with use of music and use of tape and the narrative style and the terrible writing and the weird sort of race fetishes and almost tons of stuff. The main thing is there's no there there. It's like reading People magazine, except not as fun. I felt gross after. I hated this fucking podcast. Big thumbs down for me. What about you, Kevin? Are you sure now? you? <laughs> At least if you do People Magazine, you're like getting a pedicure or something, Rebecca. I mean. But I I, I did did listen to it. But here's the thing. I did listen to it. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, oh, God, I I did actually like was able to listen. Mm -hmm. So my thumbs down, like the qualification is like, I hate me also for listening to this podcast. Well, the three of us hate you for making us listen to this podcast. (laughs) I'm also a thumbs down. And I, I like how Toby said more disappointed than hateful okay, because the story no the story itself about this family is really interesting and i think it's good and it just felt like they didn't do anything well with it and it was they were more sort of caught up in themes of things and not in any actual journalism or good storytelling right so i am a it's a swing and a miss i think for uh how stuff works um i hoping that Monster will be a better outing for them. Which we're going to talk about next week, by the way. We will be talking about Monster, yeah. But, uh, yeah, again, I think it was just, it could have been a lot tighter, and it certainly, my mind would wander when I would listen to it, which is not a good sign, and certainly felt like, you know, they could have jammed this into a more pleasant five-minute summary. Because, you know, I could also just take those five minutes and then get my eye exam for simple contact. That's right, you could. And then I'm ready to go. Simple Contacts lets you conveniently renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. So they have the self-guided app that gets you to do the vision test. Now, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye exam, but you will save money and so much time when you need to renew or reorder your contacts. Simple Contacts is all the brands and types of lenses that you're familiar with, so you never have to shop around to find your lenses at the best price. Rebecca, you had a whole bunch of lenses. I'm an evangelist for Simple Contacts. You do. We Hit have a up. big box. Yes. 
and something happened. Yes, I got a new prescription in my right eye from my eye doctor, and all of a sudden I had to order a whole bunch more contact lenses. And it Do took, they make them just for the right eye? If you you don't understand, you know what I don't understand. Okay, this yeah. is complicated. Okay. Usually it involves a lot of trips back and forth to doctors, ordering, picking up, uh. dropping off. Not with simple contacts. I had my my doctor eye exam every year, and then my contact lens like sort of confirmation prescription renewal exam. I do it all on simple contacts. It takes me eight minutes in the break room at work during lunch. They carry my very specific brand of multifocal daily wear contact lenses, which my regular eye doctor has to order every single time. The whole thing is so much easier. It's so great. I love this app, and I use it every time I need to buy new contact lenses. Yeah. Yeah, that vision test is only $20, so it's a lot cheaper than uh, heading to your ophthalmologist. And their contact lenses prices are unbeatable, and standard shipping is free. You can get $10 off of your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash CWO20. CWO20. Or enter CWO20 at checkout. So that's simplecontacts.com slash CWO20 or enter code CWO20 at checkout to get $20 off your contacts. What else you got, Kevin? Well, support for our show comes from Legacy Box, the world's largest and most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. So everybody has in their house pre digital oh, yeah. media. We have a giant freaking Tupperware container of pre-digital media in our in our storage area right now. Stuff of us when Disaster. we were kids and relatives. Maria Kondo would not be impressed. I was, no. was going to say, this sounds like the ultimate way to embrace that tidying up philosophy. Right. Totally. Get rid of the junk and put it on a tape. Yeah, it's very easy. So all you have to do is get a hold of Legacy Box. They send you your Legacy Box and you just fill it with all the old home movies and photographs. What do you do with film? You know, I ate film cartridges. They take it. They got it all. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you don't have to sit there and sort. This is what I liked about it. I could spend an entire day organizing prints, right? Marie Condoing them. Yeah, put them by size or by age, whatever. You just put, you just shove them all in. Yeah. You know, don't stuff in the box. Right. Just put it right. Just stuff the box. They take care of all of that. That you get all your original uh, material back. You get everything sent to you, digitized, perfectly preserved forever. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. So you visit legacybox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount. If you go to legacybox.com/slash crime, crime, you'll get. 40% off your first order. Go to LegacyBox.com slash crime, crime and save 40% off today. Get started preserving your past. And now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. A man is under arrest after causing a disturbance in an Odessa, Florida cafe. Joseph Lagana became enraged when he was served a Philly cheesesteak and cheese on a sesame bun. Lagana argued loudly with the staff and other patrons before the cops showed up. They locked him up for disorderly intoxication. We all know a cheesesteak comes in a seedless hoagie roll, so we doubt the jury will convict. Yeah, I was driven to it. (laughs) All right, panel, here's my question for you. Laura Bricker, what other culinary crimes might restaurants want to avoid? I have so many, I don't even know where to begin. Fireman Ken hates going out to eat with me (laughs) because of this very issue. I will give you my most recent example. I went out last weekend and I got this butternut squash ravioli and it came in a sage brown butter sauce. Now, logically, what should go with that? A little goat cheese, maybe some walnuts sprinkled on top. They put sun-dried tomatoes and asparagus. Ew, 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 ew. I said, no, sun-dried tomatoes and asparagus 
go with like basil and garlic and right. olive oil. They right. do not go with sage brown butter fucking sauce. So anyway, <laughs> Ken was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, that it, you, if you want something red, throw some little dried cranberries on top. <laughs> Don't throw sun-dried tomatoes. So anyway, that's my rage of the week. I'm moving on now. I want to fucking kill myself. <laughs> do you agree? That's what Ken says. Always. Ken says that every time he goes out with me, he says, I want to fucking kill myself. And I'm like, why? And he's like, you are ridiculous. And it's I'm not like, ridiculous. no, it's real. Whoever oh. came up with that menu item needs to be taken out back and right. punched in the face. Right. It's terrible. Thank Sorry, you, Rebecca. Sally. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Toby Ball, <laughs> what other culinary crimes do you think restaurants want to avoid? I'm so enraged by what Laura just said. <laughs> I can barely like, pull myself together. Um, my, you know, it's not funny, but my pet peeve is like fruit beer. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. So like blueberry ale or whatever. You don't yeah, like Magic Hat number nine? Is that got fruit in it? I don't drink it. It's like a mango uh, flavor. It's good. See, yeah. I was about to say that. Like my own, my, the, I think what really turned me against fruit and beer is I went to a place called, I think it was called Mango Mike's mm. in uh, Northern Virginia when I lived in DC and it was a mango themed restaurant, but they had mango beer which I drank a bunch of and just got an incredibly bad hangover afterwards. And after that, the idea of fruity beer is kind of a no-go for me. Kevin, I have two. All right. Non-consensual raisins. Non-consensual? You mean like in your chocolate? <laughs> I mean, like, you need to be warned if there's raisins. Oh, okay. I didn't ask for these raisins, and they're just in there in my cookies and my cake and my chocolate, whatever. Like, I used to put raisins in the toilet of my dollhouse when I was a kid. I do not want raisins in my goddamn dessert. Oh, the violence of <laughs> non-consensual raisins. <laughs> Number two, yeah. and you should feel this one coming, Miracle Whip. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? What culinary crimes might restaurants want to avoid? Just have to say, <laughs> the meat can't touch the potatoes. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. It's so sad, but a little bit true for you, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Laura Brigger, before we wrap things up this week, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a dog for you, Rebecca. Yes, my favorite animal. Jaunty, the crime fighting beagle. Nice. Oh, Jaunty. With Saga's lion cat. So Jaunty looks like um, he is on, or she, I'm not sure if Jaunty's a boy or a girl, but Jaunty is on the case. We should team up with Jaunty. I think That's we should too. That's Stacey's dog. Yep, very cute. I'm a big fan of any crime-fighting dog. All right, Laura Bricker, people want to reach out to you. Wish you health in the obvious cold season that you are struggling through. How can they find you online on Twitter specifically? At Laura Bricker. And Tony Ball, folks want to reach out to you and give you a pat on the back for being such a gracious book club podcast host and such a brilliant writer of the noir novels known as the City Trilogy. How can they find you online? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you and give you a little digital slap on the face. How can they find you online? Hi, I'm Kevin Flynn. <laughs> I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We hey. also have what? Hey. What? Hey. <laughs> you can support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group. You can also get a free month of Stitcher Premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime, crime and get early access to Kevin's other podcast, 
These are their stories, the Law and Order podcast with no ads. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where I make Kevin sing super creepy songs about being well provided for. On behalf I of, am well provided. <laughs> on behalf for. of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I'm Bill Rankin. I have a crippling addiction to pornography. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Oh. No, you can't say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bill Rankin. I like big butts, and I can't deny. <laughs> what? Do you like oh big butts? <laughs> Poor Bill Rankin. Man. Boy, the judge really sounds pissed off. <laughs> I love he him. Really sounds I love off. him. God willing, he still like acknowledges our existence after having to talk to you. Oh God. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 